Hello and welcome to Roster Doctor, where we fix up your roster. Today I'm joined by a very special guest, uh, one of the top four players currently at the time of recording. Uh, this is probably going to come out a little bit later, so you might be the winner, you might just be stuck at top four by the time people are watching this, but welcome Morgan Reed. How's it going, sir? Hey, good doctor. Um, thank you for having me on again, and it's good to talk to you again. Hopefully you can plug some holes in my Brotherhood roster. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really worried about you. You have a chronic case of winning that just never seems to go away. <laughs> I think Pat has the good medicine, so we'll see. I don't know. Yeah, uh, that, that, that's going to be a banger to watch. Uh, I'm probably going to have it on in the background while I'm working. Um, but yeah, Australia's been killing it this season. Two in the top four. That's more than Europe and the US combined. They only have one each. Well, yeah, I, I mean... Yeah, we've uh, we've certainly been lucky in a strong representation, and we've got a lot of new players that have come in this season in the Oceanic bracket, and a lot of them are uh, very talented, but they're so new and inexperienced that um, you know they sort of went that sort of four-two piece, yep. and I expect them to be very strong in season five. So I think uh, the Oceanic bracket is looking strong, and the Oz Meta players um, I think will do quite well in season five. Yeah, well, on onwards and upwards, uh, from the Wakanda memes to uh, kicking ass in a very entirely possible Australian versus Australian final, which I think would be a first. Uh, it would be. And so we've had, from memory, season one was won by Suna, which is he sort of camped himself in the West bracket. Uh, season yeah. two was Pat, who's now in the East bracket. Season three was Esmond, who was in Central. So I'm really cheering for... Um, you know, someone from the Oceanic bracket. If it's not Trevor Rye this this time round in season five, I'd love to see an Oceanic player win uh, the league at some stage. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think it's honestly inevitable at this point. You you guys are playing so well. There's like a consistent core of just top tier players who like all belong in the top sixteen, and eventually one of them's got to hit the jackpot, right? Hopefully, I mean, eventually it might. I don't know. I mean, I'd love to see it. Right, fingers crossed. Yeah. Well. Speaking of winning, let's talk about your winning roster. Uh, so uh, going into the characters real quick, uh, just brushing by my smoothest transition, uh, we've got Magneto, Mystique, Toad, Modok, Black Panther, Enchantress, Lockjaw, Okoye, Taskmaster, and Valkyrie. Um, so very obviously here, you're consistently playing the core of Magneto, Mystique, and Toad. But you do have the option to uh, swap in Taskmaster for Toad as you see fit. How often are you actually using uh, Taskmaster over Toad or Mystique in your team construction? Not often. I've got uh, I've got close to seventy games with Brotherhood, and Taskmaster's seen probably about twenty games. So, you know, that will give you a rough ratio of of how often I, I put him in there. Um, I think he, he gets more play under Mystique's leadership to go wider, and he gets probably less play in Magneto's, but he, he's really there to scale a four-wide attrition squad better, um, mostly with MODOK. So, you know, the, the, the classic point there would be probably a Magneto, Mystique, Taskmaster, and MODOK for 17 four-wide attrition. Yeah, I mean, there's a very brutal team uh, on E-shapes. It can even do well on B-shapes or... Uh, I don't know how great it is on D-shapes just because there's not somebody particularly great at uh, holding the home D. Um, how, how have you found like that kind of four-wide style into a D-shape? Or do you actually 
switch over to something wider and even potentially use Mystique's leadership on a D. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean the, the D shape, the, I mean, the, the classic sort of party line, I think, from or the, the accepted wisdom is Modoc is weakest on the D shape. So I'd generally avoid playing Modoc on D shapes. So the four wide, as you identified, would be more for the E, C, or B. If I, you know, you can have Modoc on one one infinity formula and Magneto on the other. I mean, that's they're pretty strong um, characters to hold a point and and do some real damage. So, you know, it's it's based on matchup dependent, but you know, Taskmaster allows that scalability and, and playstyle change to suit what I need. Yeah, and then uh, next, the character that pops out to me is Lockjaw. I think there's been a lot of conflicting opinions flying uh, around. Lockjaw, uh, with his release, he's busted, he's terrible, he's situational, uh, but I, I saw him be used to brutal effect, at least in Travis's game, um, uh, this last weekend. Uh, how, how do you feel about Lockjaw, and I guess specifically in Brotherhood, which seems to be one of the places where he's getting love right now? Yeah, sure. I mean, look, how I feel about Lockjaw in general is probably different to how I feel about him right now in Brotherhood. I mean, we've spoken about it on our podcast, but I think Lockjaw might be problematic um, with some specific uh, scenario play, be secure extracts or probably more extract focus. Um, you know, now and, and possibly into the future, once people unlock some combination plays that steal a lot of agency from, from the opposition. But that's probably a separate discussion that we don't want to derail from. Uh, in terms of Lockjaw and Brotherhood, I was on the fence whether to take him, and mostly because I, I barely had a chance to get any reps in. Uh, you know, their release uh, really tied in with the, the top cut, so yeah. ideally I'd like to have, you know, at least a few weeks trialling him and making sure there's a real spot for him. But the limited games I did play, I really liked pairing him with Modoc, and I really liked pairing him... Now, I mean, I don't think Magneto needs it so much, because Magneto's got Asteroid M as his delivery mechanism, but you know, Modoc with a lockjaw delivery mechanism now, um, and potentially Modoc and Magneto, uh, can really be a strong dominant play on attrition in Brotherhood. Yeah, that, that's definitely what I've seen. Uh, Magneto's builder scales with, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, the bonus die to the target um, incredibly oh, well if you're getting the rerolls. Interdimensional um, Bloodhound. But but uh, more more so than anything else, the range three place it's 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 like Red Skull on crack, for yeah. cheaper. Um, yeah, so sure. I, mean, I, I can think, definitely see the value on E shapes yeah. for him. I think E shape and probably a B shape is where they shine. I mean, if you put Lockjaw in the middle of the table, Modok on a left flank, Magneto on a right flank, within range three of Lockjaw, and you say put a let's call it a Toad or a, it just doesn't matter another character next to Lockjaw. Lockjaw can activate and teleport both characters onto that, that back D shape. So, you know, with zero actions. So you've got a Modoc with two activations on the Infinity and Magneto on the Infinity with two activations to go. So, you know, that's, they're two really good examples, I think, of where Lockjaw shines to allow, you know, uh, maximum efficiency from Magneto and, and Modoc early in the game. So, so here's a question. I, I'm not sure how much, uh, but uh, I'm not sure where I was going with that sentence. Um, What's it called? Brotherhood is very good at handing out power, uh, power to characters that aren't necessarily doing things. Uh, do you find that the Brotherhood leadership uh, actually helps decouple Lockjaw from having to stand right next to somebody? 
um, at the start of his activation, ma making him like less of an activation puzzle because you can more reliably afford the teleports. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, it's certainly a consideration. What I would say is that I probably haven't played a whole lot of games with Lockjaw and Brotherhood. It's only uh, it's only two or three, I think, so far. It might be four, but um, it certainly helps. And it takes, I mean, really, I, I think the Lockjaw play at the moment, just in my roster and my limited games with him, is a, is a round one uh, single or double teleport of a big hitter of, Mag of MODOK or MODOK and Magneto. And then really after that, yeah, he can. He, he's a backline cheerleader. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he'll he'll build the power slowly as you've identified off Magneto's leadership, and then he can. You know, the other great thing he can do, which I love doing, uh, doing with him is, is you can do a bold, you know, asteroid M of Magneto in there, do a big attack on someone, and then Magneto just has to survive one opposing activation, and then Lockjaw can potentially teleport him back into safety. So there's some nice plays you can do turn three, uh, turn two and three as well. Sorry, round two and three as well, but. You know, power generation. You're right. Magneto leadership allows him to be a little bit more flexible with his um, with his placement against other characters. Uh, and finally, speaking to opportunity cost on him, because you said he was kind of like a last minute thing you're wavering on. Um, I noticed you have Black Panther in here. Was there any consideration to trying to fit in Shuri um, as a kind of Wakanda backdoor, as yeah. it were? Yeah, there was. I mean, look, so, I mean, a couple of things. The big decision for me was Lockjaw or uh, Ghost Spider. I had Ghost Spider in my mm -hmm. roster all season, and I've played most of my games with Brotherhood with Ghost Spider. And, you know, she is one of my favourite characters, and I think she really excels under Magneto's leadership. So it was just a bit of a, a, a trade-off between Lockjaw and, and Ghost Spider there, and I thought Lockjaw would offer me just something a little bit different, and I could... I could mitigate her absence through some other combinations. Um, but in terms of Black Panther and, you know, possibly putting Shuri in there, um, you'll notice that I've got Taskmaster and Okoye, and that's actually a sneaky Wakanda base of nine points. So not as good as Shuri being, you know, Taskmaster versus Shuri, but I think situationally Taskmaster could be a stronger pick. And I'm thinking of scenarios like uh, Deadly Meteors, where Taskmaster is probably happy to go walk up onto a media um, brawl with someone and, and keep trying to flip it, whereas Shuri's probably a little bit more fragile there. Yeah, that, that's definitely something I've noticed in the top 16 slash the games that have been streamed, and this is actually something uh, that's been really great, especially with uh, Vaughn from Australia. Uh, we have almost every top 16 match recorded so far. There's only two that haven't been, and it looks like every single match going forwards is going to get recorded. Uh, so there's a lot of interesting stuff to go back and look at. And just the weird ways that people are playing Wakanda to pick apart different scenarios, like origin bombs, um, is is kind of a development that I uh, think is particularly fascinating and definitely merits uh, tougher frontline characters rather than Shuri, potentially. Taskmaster fits that bill potentially perfectly, unless you uh, need the Wakanda Forever pop-off. Yeah, and look, it's more of a, I don't intend to play Wakanda, but I've got them built 14 to 20, and they're there for very specific, I suppose, matchup and scenarios where Wakanda looks more favourable than, than Brotherhood. Yeah, uh, I, I think in Pat versus, uh, who was he playing? I, I spectated the match, so I should know. Uh, Jacob, I'm completely blanking on it. I don't know why. Um he uh 
I mean, that was the origin bomb, uh, Wakanda kind of zigzag uh, that uh, threw a bit of a loop there. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think it's it, it's always an interesting backdoor pick if you're already taking a Koye, um, and you're already taking a lot of characters that are just generically good in Wakanda-style teams. Uh, if you can just slot in Black Panther and call it a day, that's always a great choice. Hmm. Um, so, uh, how, how do you feel about Mystique's leadership now at the end of the season? Yeah, good question. Yeah, so I just did an interview with Jacob this morning and he asked a very similar question. And, I mean, apologies, but I'll probably give a similar answer in that, you know, I've played near 70 games with Brotherhood and I, I reckon I've played about 10 with Mystique's leadership. Uh, I like Mystique's leadership, but I don't like it as much as Magneto's generally. And I usually use Mystique's leadership when Magneto's not in the squad. In If Magneto and Mystique are both in the squad, it's pretty rare that I'll use Mystique's. Uh, there is a good example of it, though. I want to say it was round five of the Swiss, uh, which was recorded on you know Von's gaming, mm-hmm. where I used a three-wide Mystique Magneto Modoc at 14. And I used Mystique's leadership because it was Gamma Shelters. And that, that actually paid huge dividends at the back end of the game. I was I was really concerned in the first few rounds because there was a lot of throws going on and a lot of power that I wasn't getting. But it paid dividends at the back end of the game and I think almost won me the game. So I like it, uh, but I prefer Magneto's more often than not. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely waiting for the meta to shift on Mystique. Uh, Mystique's leadership relative to Magneto's, it feels like. It has some interesting options to it, but it's the game just isn't favorable to it quite yet, if that makes sense. It does. It does. And I think, um, you know, a good example might be, you know, a Mare Fisk or a Terrigen Mist that you might want to use Mystique. You could potentially overload a flank, put a token on it, and then just abandon it and go and take the other one. So that, that sort of springs to mind. But uh, I tend to agree that I think Magneto is just fueling up his squad to, uh, to get all those tactics cards and superpowers and big attacks online is just money. Yeah. Anything else we want to cover on specific character choices here? I feel like uh, the remainder is relatively self-explanatory. Valkyrie, Okoye, Enchantress, MODOK. Your, uh... Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a couple. Of, the one I had trouble with was, you know, we talked about that Black Panther slot earlier. I was really, it was a, it was, I was on the fence between Black Panther and Medusa. Um, I, I did want to swap out. I had Sabretooth in there, but I think you know, he comes with a card tax in my mind of exceptional healing. And I just wasn't, I wasn't happy with, with that sort of limitation on the roster. Yeah. So I brought in Black Panther, but I was very, very close to taking Medusa. So I think that's, um, you know, that, that floating four, four threat, uh, or four character, four point character slot in Black Panther is very flexible based on personal preference. And the other one is I really want to bring Angela into the, the roster, but I, I had a hard time putting her in and scaling her uh, with you know, against the rest of the characters. You know, having Modok and Angela in a roster is problematic because it'd be very rare that I'd play both of them together. In fact, I don't imagine I would play both of them together. So it becomes an either or. And then, you know, do I want Modok or do I want Angela? And if I'm taking Angela in my roster, I've got to take out some flexibility elsewhere to put her in. So I suppose that the, the big ones for me was Lockjaw versus Ghost Spider, Black Panther versus Medusa or Sabretooth, and then Angela, question mark, how do I fit her in? 
Yeah, it's definitely rough to fit her in here. Because like you said, you can literally never take Modok and Angela and still be a Magneto-led team, or even a Magneto-included team. Yeah. And so, like, if you want two heavy hitters, why not just play Magneto instead of one of the two? Um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'd probably... Yeah, you could probably put her in, put Angela in where Lockjaw is, but I don't know what the right answer is. Um, Toad's a mini Angela in my mind. Toad's a mini extract player that doesn't do as good as Angela, but he does it pretty well, and especially being a two-threat character, it feels like a, a, a more optimized investment in extract running as opposed to Angela. Yeah, to Toad has been impressing me more and more uh, as the season's gone on. Uh, it really feels like there's kind of a clear separation between Toad and Okoye and then literally everybody else uh, in the two-threat slot. Um, I agree. I agree. And I think I think we discussed, in fact, we discussed Toad on, on the latest Strike Better podcast, which I think drops today when we're recording. But we yeah, I, th I think I just got the Discord notification for oh, that. Cool. So yeah, yeah. literally while we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I said on there was that Toad's really grown on me um, in that I thought Okoye was the clear, I mean, and she pretty much is the, the clear winner as the best two-pointer. But uh, I think now if it came to, for me, Okoye versus Toad, I'd probably pick Toad just because Toad can do things that no one else can, um, minus sort of Angela, maybe, um, in that his extract play is, is probably second best to Angela. And so Okoye is an, a wonderful two-threat two character, but she kind of does the same thing as everyone else, you know, apart from the bodyguard, that's very good. But Toad's uh, extract play with his range two interaction, slippery and hop, um, just can't be replicated. So I think he brings a real strength, and I've, I've fallen in love with Toad this season, absolutely. Yeah, actually, in fact, this morning before we recorded this, I lost a game um, where Toad managed to get three of the four hammers and run into the corner, and I just couldn't, like, hunt him down. Uh, it was a pretty bad time. So, yeah, to Toad can do some pretty wild stuff on extract plays uh, that, yeah, no nobody but Angela can do. Um, and... Uh, you're you're not playing the herbs play here, but uh, he he's also like essentially the only way that you can like cheat around one herbs play. As far as I know, you basically have to use him. I think there's some more lines of round one herb play now. Lockjaw's out, but to be honest, oh yeah, the lock lockjaw changes that. Yeah, sorry, pre lockjaw. I think he was the only way you could do it outside of like burning like all five of your tactics cards in one go. It it was like absurd how much he opened up just like weird extra distances that uh, you otherwise wouldn't have been able to pull off. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, the, the turn one herb play, I think, is a bit of a, a pipe dream, but I'm still yet to see it. Uh... It, it. It's a pub stomper, because as soon as any, like, competent player realizes what's going on, they just bum rush the herb container, and it's just a bad time for everyone. Yeah, I mean, most, most of the top rosters and players have a way to stop or mitigate turn one herb plays. And it'd be rare, um, unless you're playing a new player, to be, able to, to be able to pull that off with any consistency, I think. Yeah, in fact, I think Jacob, who is the most successful defenders player this season, dropped it from his top cut. I don't even think he had herbs in his extract plans. Um, and he, he was the one who first pioneered it. <laughs> so I, I think that's a bit of a con condemnation of the herbs mm. play in general. Mm. Uh, but 
I, I think we've pretty much covered it on characters. Let's hop on over to tactics. And there's not a lot of surprises here for anybody who's seen a uh, Brotherhood roster before, but Asteroid M, Deception, Medpack, Field Dressing, All You've Got, Hired Muscle, Advanced R&D, and Magnetic Refraction. Um, I guess this kind of goes back to your hesitancy uh, with Lockjaw, but uh, no last-minute save trying to fit in here. Um, no, I... No, I had to Especially it. after the errata. I think the errata came out before the um, uh, list lock, right? I think it did. But, um, I mean, I looked at last-minute save, and when, when I look at tactics cards, I look at consistency. And last-minute save, I could see it situationally being game-winning, but I can see it situationally not being used in a, in a game. So it's a little bit inconsistent for how, I suppose, I, I play and approach the game. Um, so it, it didn't get a, a look in for me. But I know Travis in the other top four Brotherhood slash Wakanda roster, he's got it in there and, and pretty happy with it, I think, so far. Oh, yeah. I, I forgot his Brotherhood roster has the full-on Wakanda splash. Um, I, I knew he had slightly different uh, variations because he has more humans. He actually took Medusa. But I didn't realize he had the like full proper Wakanda splash in there. Well, I think he's actually a Brotherhood splash with a Wakanda roster. To be honest, he's a he's a long time dedicated Wakanda player, um, and he just wanted the Brotherhood for the, the higher threat levels. But uh, he's yeah he's taken Lockjaw. I think the last two of his top sixteen, he played at top sixteen and top eight, and it's and actually it won him. Uh, uh, and all you've got Lockjaw won him the game against Pollution at top sixteen. Took down a, a fully full health Medusa. That's. I'll have to go back and watch the tape on that because that like begs belief because like he he's just got a four dice attack with no frills right? Yeah, I mean he he put on a interdimensional bloodhound and had uh, four attacks at her. So you know uh, that was a great game and and you know that literally yeah that won. sounds absolutely wild. Honestly, all the top sixteen games that I've watched so far have just been insane back and forth. Even when like you think somebody has the game entirely shut out, somebody always manages to come up with some kind of like strange angle to get back into the game it's just been great oh absolutely and I, look i don't think there's much between you know whoever whoever ends up winning this league versus being in the top 16 i don't think there's much that separates those players at all apart from uh, maybe a little bit of dice experience going their way or not in, in the lead-up games yeah i i think there's uh th there's definitely more than like 16 players that are a clear separation from the rest um, it would be interesting to go to like a full-on 32-player uh, bracket uh, for future seasons. I'm not sure if we've hit the appropriate numbers for that yet, but um, that might bear out some interesting results. Mm. But, but back to the tactics real quick. Um, so you've got the hired muscle plan in here. Um, how, do, how do you feel about Brotherhood hired muscle out of curiosity? Purely a backup defensive plan. Are you doing it proactively very often? So I've got three lines of play with hide muscle and brotherhood. Uh, the first is it's a kit check for my opponent. If they don't have good counterplay built into their roster for a citizen's hide muscle at you know whatever threat value, um, I'll leverage that and then punish them for it. And I'll probably win that game more often than not. Just that I'll get three citizens and they won't. And then I'll use Magneto's leadership ability to generate power faster than they can and evacuate those citizens and win on probably turn four. So that's the first line of play, is really leveraging slash abusing the power of that card. 
Um, the second line of play is a, um, a counterplay or a, a defensive line. If, it, if I see my opponent is also trying to leverage that hired muscle on you know, any sort of citizen, or sorry, civilian extracts, um, I can take that card as well, just to balance out what's occurring. Sometimes I don't because I think I've got some really good characters and cards in Enchantress and Mystique with Deception uh, and Asteroid in with Magneto that I can probably get around not having hide muscle, but I've got it there if I wanted. And really the, the third line of play and what I think is the most important line of play with hide muscle is on the Mare Fisk scenario. And you being a criminal syndicate connoisseur um, can probably um, relate to this better than I can, but in my mind, if I'm playing against criminal syndicate at let's call it 16 threat value and we're both running five wide if i don't have hide muscle i don't think i can win that game unless i get very lucky so i think it's needed on mayor fisk um, as a either proactive to win the game or, or more importantly a reactive counterplay to stop there or mitigate their hide muscle um, but you can also see some windows of play to um, take advantage of your roster that has tools that your opponent's roster doesn't yeah, I think you're 100% on the money there on the criminal syndicate aspect in particular. In fact, the uh, I lost exactly two games uh, the entire season to not make the cut, one of which was into Sooner, where I fucked up hired muscle on Mayor Fisk vows uh, to find missing witnesses, and it just like absolutely spired, spiraled out of control over that. Um, criminal syndicate players will just steamroll you if you... Uh, either don't have an amazing game plan for them or don't have hired muscle for Fisk. Yeah. Yeah, I think I caught that game as well. You went four wide into Sooners five wide, is that right? Uh Kingpin, Modoc, Enchantress, Taskmaster, I wanna say. So that would have been sixteen. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I, I think I, I definitely have a vice of loving Modoc a bit too much. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if I move from uh, Modoc entirely for season five, just because I will play Modoc Towers even when it's inappropriate, and sometimes it just bites me in the ass. Modoc's power is addictive. Yeah, I, I know that all too well. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, magnetic refraction, out of curiosity, because um, I'm going to be ashamed to admit I haven't caught your games yet, because um, I've just been so busy. Uh, how, how do you feel about magnetic refraction? Is it like an always take just for like the attritional advantage, or do you only play it into attrition matchups? Uh, magnetic refraction is one I've struggled with. I mean, I said I've played near 70 games with Brotherhood, and I, and I think I've played about half of those games with magnetic refraction, and maybe half without. Mm -hmm. um, and, and what I found is that it's really good when you have priority because you can magneto can put it up before your opponent activates, and you can get that um, you know range three coverage for cover. Yeah, and I found it's really good on the condensed scenarios like the E and C shapes. So I think uh, when you're running a narrow attrition squad on a condensed map, uh, magnetic refraction is just exceptional, and you can save yourself up to ten health across all your characters in a game. That's not unreasonable. Um, but what I've also found, though, is that if you don't have priority and uh, your opponent has equal or less characters than you or you're running on a wide or a spread scenario like a D or a B, then Magnetic Refraction probably has far less value and it becomes probably more Magneto-centric of keeping him alive or giving him cover to keep him alive longer and mm -hmm. maybe it's not worth its investment there. So 
I've, it's in my roster. It was a contentious one for me, one of the most contentious ones for the top cut. But it's in my roster um, against the sort of the heavy attrition or the beater squads um, where I think I can get some value out of it. But, you know, it backfired in the top 16. I played against a nine-point Thanos with A4. So it was She-Hulk, Okoye, and nine-point Thanos at 17. And I took um, I took Magnetic Refraction just in case he ran a five-wide A-force. So the fact that he, you know, was running three-wide, I never had priority, so I could never really put it up. And by the time it was my turn, he'd killed everything with Thanos. So it was a completely dead card. So it can, it can backfire if you don't pick it right. Yeah, uh, it, it definitely seems like a situational card, at least from my personal experience of playing uh, Psychic Fortress at the beginning of the game. Um, which is essentially magnetic refraction, but worse for Modok. Um, it like it, it's like a solid effect, but in, like if you're playing into like a Wakanda like control style team or something like that, you're just gonna be unimpressed. So maybe the repeatability of it. Um, I I haven't put in a lot of reps as Brotherhood. Um, because I've mostly been focusing on other affiliations, so I don't know like what like at what point does like the breakpoint actually work out um yeah i mean generally you're playing it when i do play it on those you know condensed um maps i'm, I'm probably playing it three times in a game i mean most games finish round four so you, yeah you can really play it round two three and four and then you, you're probably it's probably affecting you know a couple of characters attacks each of those rounds so it's giving you you know that's effectively i think plus one health for each of your characters over three rounds each time they're attacked potentially i mean that's best case but it can be situationally very strong yeah yeah uh and finally i just want to go through your restricted choices real quick uh so field dressing joined at the hip to all you've got as far as i'm concerned um so that that one's just kind of obvious like if you're going for the all you've got plan you got to take field dressing but med pack versus brace right now um there's a lot of Brotherhood, there's a lot of Asgard, there's a lot of big-time throwy characters. Um, so how, how did you make the calculus to go for Medpack over Brace? That's a great question, and it's not, uh, it's not a decision I'm sure I've got right, but there's a few sort of lines of logic when I think about Medpack versus Brace, specifically in Brotherhood. Uh, and the first one uh, is that, and the reason why I probably went with Medpack, is that I find in Brotherhood I've got some obviously some really good throwers led by Magneto. Um, so I my mitigation to Brace is that normally I'll throw the terrain first with Magneto if I can, um, and that will remove my opponent's ability to throw those big um, sized terrain pieces at me. So therefore reduces my need for Brace. So that's probably the first thing. Um, how successful is that in practice? Um, that's a good question. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Um, the second thing is that Medpack, um, which you probably appreciate as well, I think pairs really nicely with Modok. He's got such a high health pool and he's so strong on his healthy side that your opponent has to commit a lot of resources to really burn him down. And there's nothing more disheartening, I think, than your opponent pouring their entire squad into Modok um, for very little damage and then he just gets Medpack straight back um, to almost full health. So I like Medpack with Modok and I like Medpack as well with Magneto. Um, and I generally find I'll use Medpack most games, whereas the Brace piece, uh, you can play into some rosters that don't have throws. That's rare, but it can happen and can sometimes be a dead card. 
Uh, if I was to change it though, or if I was to have a, a, a pick again, I probably would put Brace in instead of Medpack, just for that consistency of stopping the character throws and the auto dazes. I think that's that can cost me. Mm -hmm. I can mitigate that a little bit with field dressing, but yeah, I, I'm not sure I got that decision right, and I'd probably be happy to swap Medpack for Brace. Field dressing's a lock, as you've articulated, but Medpack for Brace, I'd be happy to swap that out right now. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of like the defining choice of the meta right now. It's like you take med pack brace or you take med pack field dressing or you take brace field dressing. I feel like patch up has fallen a little bit to the wayside. I've seen it in some good A4 shells, um, but brace is just at such a high premium and people prefer the flexibility of med pack um, that those two are like head and shoulders above patch up and doom prophecy, at least from what I've seen. Yeah, I agree. Uh, anything else we want to cover here before we go? Well, actually, advanced R&D. Um, that's actually something interesting I noticed. Um, so traditionally, Brotherhood's seen as being an incredibly power-rich um, roster. Um, how are you... Uh, wh where are you using advanced R&D? Um, well, yeah. So advanced R&D is there for very specific uh, or crisis combinations and very specific lines of play where I feel I don't have the ability to generate that power off Magneto's leadership in the appropriate time frame to mm -hmm. do something I need to do right now. So a good example might be, um, so my top eight game against the criminal syndicate. Now, it didn't pan out this way based on his tactic card selection, but to try and visualise why or where and why I would use this, if we imagine we were playing on Hammers and Infinity. Now, in my opponent's roster, he had tactical analysis and advanced R&D. So we're playing on Hammers. He had priority. He activates first and, and takes a central hammer on the right flank. Now, he's got tactical analysis and advanced R&D in his back pocket. Now, if I go and take that left hammer, left central hammer, he could double move someone onto his uh, right infinity formula and then play advanced R&D and tactical analysis his uh, hammer carrier backwards and out of uh, Enchantress's ability to do a Amora's Kiss and steal that hammer off him. So having advanced R&D allows me to activate Enchantress straight away with three power, double move and take an extract off someone, or it can allow me to double move a Mystique and then play Asteroid M straight away um, without activating Magneto first. So it's it's quite a, a narrow time that I would use it. And it's just based on the, the crisis combination and my matchup and then what characters I can take. Because as you've identified, you know, Valkyrie in Brotherhood can, can perform the same function if I have time and, and my opponent can't react to stop what I want to do. Did that make sense? Yeah. Um... I, I think it also is potentially helpful for teams that have to splash in their hired muscle enablers uh, to be able to play characters with functionally two power on both flanks if you're forced into a hired muscle situation that you wouldn't prefer to default into. Uh, absolutely. And that's that's actually, I, I meant to say that, absolutely. So if, for example, I want to take Black Panther and use hired muscle on Black Panther, he can do that turn one uh, or my second activation of the game. So yeah, good pickup. Yeah. Okay, well, I, I think that pretty much wraps it up for the tactics, so let's move on to the crises. Um, and so here you're rocking an E-Force with Gamma Wave Sweeps across Midwest, 
Infinity formula goes missing and Demons Downtown has our comeuppance come due. I love the B here. I love being able to play two columns when you've got Magneto, you've got Modoc in your back pocket. All great there. Uh, and then you round out your extract package with mutant extremists target U.S. senators, panic grip cities, evacuation efforts continue, and fear grips world is worthy terrorized cities. Um, so I think these are all pretty situationally great, but um, what, what's your preferred uh, senators setup um, for Brotherhood? Uh, that's a good question. It's, I mean, I've got, I'm just looking at my squad options. There's probably four different squads I would play at 14 points on Senators. And again, it depends on the points, but I'm assuming we'll play at 14 here. Um, it's really do, well, do, do you ever play Senators reactively? Or is it something that you only proactively pick with priority? Oh, no, I'll play. I, I actually really enjoy playing Senators. I'll play it as much as I can if I think it uh, gives me an advantage. Uh, because... Um, I think you know there, there is a hmm, there is a a little bit I think that AMG try to do to match the strength of the crisis release with the affiliation or the character that it's released with. Some of them they've got right, and some of them I don't think they have. But I think mutant extremists that comes with Magneto and Toad, and I think um, Magneto and Toad are really strong on the senators. Um, Toad's ability to uh, you know grab it and then run away with it is really strong, and Magneto's ability to asteroid in, teleport, and then just remove someone who's carrying that senator is also very strong. So I, I quite like playing senators, and I think the Brotherhood game is very strong on senators, and it's potentially one of the strongest. I think Angela has got a real say in this, um, but I, I do like uh, Brotherhood's chances on on senators. So really, you know, preferred style on that. I like having Mystique with Deception. I like having Toad with his runaway runaway play, and I like having Magneto um, to be able to asteroid in. In uh, it doesn't have to play that way, but that's my general preference of the skeleton of, of three Brotherhood characters. Yeah, the the asteroid M play is super frightening. Uh, my my only concern there was whether um, Angel like Angela matchups would have been problematic. That you would be afraid to drop it into them uh, without Pryo. Yeah, it depends. I mean, they've got... Um, yeah, if, if they don't have any good play, you're you're fine just saying, my team's inherently better. But if somebody's got, like, a real Angela play, you're going to say, pass. <laughs> the one that's concerning is an Asgard Angela. You know, a Thor Angela and let's call it Enchantress. That's probably one I would balk at, just because they've got Odin's Blessing and Rainbow Bridge yep. and Enchantress. So that, that becomes problematic if I don't drop... Angela straight up, she's going to rainbow bridge out of there and I'll never see that senator again. But, um, but a normal Angela and any other squad, I'm not too fussed. I'm quite happy if she's got the senator because it's one less defense dice and she hasn't got Odin's blessing to protect her and, and she's going to go down reasonably fast. Yeah, if, if you can start dropping her defense pool, uh, anyone can kind of tear through her relatively quickly. Her, her right. stamina is not anything special, it's just she has fours all around. Yeah, and look, if I've got priority, I can take the center extract, and then Angela has to pick one. And if I don't get it on the center, she has to go left or right. And if she goes the wrong way, she's out of the game for a bit. And if she goes the right way, Mystique will then deception her, um, deception her back, uh, potentially for then Magneto to drop in and, and have a good time. Switching over to the Secures real quick, Infinity Formula goes missing versus Mutant Madman. Um, I, I know your uh, physical defenses uh, are bad on MODOK when you're wanting to play that like double B setup, but um, have, have you found that uh, 
you, you you don't care about the kind of like flip and go style where you can essentially push your heavies along each column after you've kind of like solved the secure behind you. Yeah, it, it was a it, that was a tough decision. I, I was back and forth between the two of them. Uh, what I what I didn't like about the the mutant madman was as you've identified the RNG aspect of rolling for that secure. Um, I particularly dislike RNG secures because it removes skill or it removes a portion of skill and replaces that with luck to determine the result. And I, I don't like that aspect. But also, I think um, Magneto and Modok are quite strong on Infinity, and it's it's quite easy to get a backstop for Modok against sort of Shuri types to stop Modok being pushed off the Infinity. And his range four attack is really strong on Infinity, as you know, and also the power generation helps get the Modok train rolling. But also, Magneto has his force projection, which stops him being pushed away on attacks. So I, I think Infinity is good that the Brotherhood can just plant themselves, you know, a Modok on the left and a Magneto on the right, sit on those back Infinities and go, Roto, let, let's have at it. I've got bigger characters. So I just combined those things, and I, and I just didn't like the RNG aspect of the, the Mutant Madman. And I like the power generation, and I like the game Brotherhood has on Infinity. Okay, and then final question I want to do before we move on into the specific crisis combinations. But just like a hypothetical, uh, against whatever the field is, doesn't matter. Let's say you have priority, you get a select secures, you're not worried about some kind of weird matchup thing going on, and it's gamma versus infinity formula. What's your go-to? Uh, it is 100% dependent on what my opponent can run. I, I, I'd probably prefer all things being equal. I would probably prefer Infinity because it's slower than Gamma. And I find dice spikes in Gamma can determine the game, whereas dice spikes in Infinity aren't as severe and punishing. So I probably prefer the consistency of Infinity as opposed to the explosive nature of Gamma. Okay, yeah. So, so less about matchup, but more, I guess, what I was trying to get at the heart of is for, for your brotherhood. Do you prefer the E setup or the B setup? Do you prefer the single column or the double column fighting style? Oh, it, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Uh, I probably personally I, I prefer the isolated battles of having having the sort of two columns so that way you know a whole bunch of characters can't just pour it on one character and I can yeah I, I prefer yeah I prefer the, the split fight. Uh, mm -hmm. The E is very strong for Brotherhood, but it is it does become a bit of a dice game there. Okay, well with that, why don't we just get into the specific crisis combinations. So, uh, we're skipping past the 14 through 20 threat that we used to do the last time you were on here, and instead, we're just going to have five of the crisis combinations, and again, just like uh, before, uh, these are going to be uh, one of... At least one of the two crises are obviously going to be yours, and then we're going to be talking about what kind of teams you would build for each threat. We, we obviously have to do some hypothetical gap-filling, like what kind of opponent would be playing in the, this into you uh, kind of stuff. Um, but we'll, we'll just try and get it to the heart of like team-building on these specific scenarios. Are you good to go, sir? Yep. Okay. First off, we're going to start with an easy one. This is going to be Scrolls Infiltrate World Leadership and Demons Downtown has our comeuppance come due. I wonder I wonder if you've seen this one in the past recently. This was, yeah, this was the top 16 game. Exactly, actually. 
So, um, all, all, all things being equal, I mean, like, obviously it depends on the matchup, but how are you, how are you feeling about 17 versus 19 on this specific crisis combination here? Uh, I guess going into your match, uh, which uh, threat would you have preferred? Uh, from the top 16 game? Yeah. Probably the 19, I think. But both are equally fine by me. I'm, I'm both running five wide. It just scales which characters they are. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. E either's fine. And so what, what, what do those teams look like? Because it sounds like they're both going to have the same core. It's just you're going to upgrade a character into Modoc yeah. or something. Right. Pretty much right. So based on the single extract nature of the scrolls, that leads me to take Enchantress. So I've got, uh, we discussed pre-show, but I've got about five different squads per threat level and mm -hmm. I tailor it to be the crisis. So for a single extract crisis, I'll generally look for Enchantress. So my 17 would be Magneto, Mystique, Toad, Enchantress and Okoye. Um, so that gives me a bit of a beater in Magneto and some, some stealing play with Enchantress. If I go to 19, there's two ways I can scale it. So we just talked about the 17 base being the three Brotherhood characters and Enchantress and Okoye as the two add-ons. Mm -hmm. to 19, I can upgrade Okoye to Panther and retain that Enchantress ability to, you know, Amora's Kiss. Or if I go, you know what, I choose Violence, I can go lo uh, Lockjaw and Modok as an example and just put Modok in the middle and say, come and have at it. So there's some options. There's some other squads I can do as well, but generally, you know, with a single extract, I'd be looking at Violence or Amora's Kiss. And on this particular combination, do you prefer having the prow or giving up the prow? Because you're going five wide, so it, it, it's kind of like a coin flip whether or not you're going to retain prio for the majority of the game, unless you're playing against like a four or a three wide. Yeah, I and mean, priority's largely irrelevant for me. It might influence if I've got priority and I think it's going to be five wide versus five wide. I might take magnetic refraction. Um, that might be the only thing that influences that priority role, but it's largely irrelevant, and I, I don't, I don't mind much. In fact, I more often not prefer not having priority. So. Yeah. Okay, so so as a broader question, uh, how how do you feel your brotherhood roster feels about priority? It sounds like you would prefer to not have priority as like a general player, but this team is relatively indifferent? Well, I mean, Brotherhood, the thing that is quite subtle about Brotherhood and which took me a while to learn is that, you know, when you look at their cards and their characters, you think they're a real attrition squad, you know, big throws, big ma uh, magneto damage attacks. They're actually a wonderful control squad as well. You know, not Wakanda levels control, but they have some really good control options. Magneto's got his um, auto push from his attack. Uh, Mystique's got a deception. You can scale in Valkyrie, Enchantress, Panther, Modok. Um, they've all got displacement. So, you know, having having priority, you can lean into the attrition. Not having priority, you can lean into the control, but then just pull the trigger on attrition when you want to get aggressive. So, you know, I think Brotherhood's quite flexible and can do both quite well. Okay, well, let's kick on over to the next crisis combination which might also look familiar. I can't remember which order I put these in. I know your top eight match is one of these five. Yeah, no, you put it in. I didn't realize this, actually. So the, the, the first one we just discussed was my top 16, and then the second one you put up now is the top eight match we just did uh, yesterday, or two days ago now. Yeah. And I, I've seen this kind of set up since the... I think the beginning of the well, Asgard was one of the first major release waves. Wakanda than Asgard, so th like this crisis combination has been in the game for a while now. Um, 
lots of power, lots of lethality, kind of two split columns. Um, what are you thinking here? Is, is uh, what what kind of teams are you looking to build? So we, I suppose, just we were talking about infinity and uh, hammers, aren't we? Yep. Yep. Um, look, so you know, points value. I am. Uh, I, I don't mind if it's seventeen or eighteen. Um, mm-hmm. I could look at. I mean, this is a choice now between Modok and Enchantress. So Modok, as we know, is great on hammers because he can deploy behind the home hammer, pick it up automatically without moving, and then move off to you know left or right to sit on an infinity formula where he's going to leverage best advantage of the characters on that, that column. So that's pretty handy. I can play Modok at 17 or 18 here. Uh, I think Modok scales better into 18. Um, Do you go five I, or four wide um, at 18? Uh, it would be five wide Modok at 18, yeah. Um, I could do four wide Modok at 17 if I want to choose the path of violence, um, which, which is certainly doable and something I've done before. So it's just a, a choice. So it'd have to be four wide Modoc at, at 17, and I could go five wide Modoc at 18. Yeah, so, so the, the five wide Modoc team for the listeners um, would be uh, Magneto, Mystique, Toad, Okoye, Modoc. Yes? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so really the choice is, do I want to choose violence and have Modoc with a hammer uh, wrecking some havoc, or do I want to do uh, Enchantress in either 17 or 18, and then leverage her ability to steal a hammer off that central, um, one of those central pickups. And largely, this will be influenced by what my opponent's playing. So if they're playing Angela, for example, um, I don't have a hope of, of stealing that central hammer off her because she picks it up and runs away. But if they're not playing Angela, uh, and it's not in the roster, I would probably lean towards um, Enchantress there. Yeah, en- Enchantress has just been honestly an all-star this entire season. She's my favorite four. I think Medusa might supplant her. We'll see. But mm. she 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 just completely turns the game on its head, and she's always great to include whenever you can find room for her. Yeah, and I suppose the other point to note on this one is um, I actually have a really nice Wakanda squad at 18 here that combines Modok and Enchantress. So it's Panther, Taskmaster, Okoye, Modok, and Enchantress at 18. So I can have my cake and eat it too, potentially, um, with a Modok hammer party and an Enchantress stealing one as well. So there's, there's some real options, and it's just going to be based on the opposition. Okay, next crisis combination. Uh, more Infinity Formula. Uh, this is going to be Infinity Formula and Mutant Extremist. So this is a dream. Your opponent has somehow accidentally given you one of your crises. Um, or intentionally, I guess. Uh, how, how do you feel about this crisis combination? Um, actually, are the... Okay, the C's and the B's aren't actually lined up. I thought they were. That actually is mildly annoying to me. <laughs> it's right. like an aesthetics thing. Yep. But I, I don't think that affects positioning all that much. Maybe it Sorry. prevents MODOK from being able to interact with both, but I don't know about the math on that. If it was yeah. foreign. So normally on the on the fourteen, if they give, if I'm running senators at fourteen and they give me an E shape secure, so let's call it gamma or demons, I might consider fourteen and running three wide of mm-hmm. Mag- uh, Magneto, Mystique, Modok, leading to that attrition and also be able to put uh, bodies on secures at the same time. Um, but noting it's a B shape, 
pleased me to have probably at least four wide here. So I'd probably look at um, running four, maybe even five wide at, at 14. I can do that as well with Mystique. Uh, I can also do it with uh, a Wakanda squad. Um, what would be my preference? Probably 17, I think it's just safer. If you're forced here. down into 14, would you consider playing Magnetoless uh, four wide on this? With like Mystique's leadership to fit in Enchantress? I'd probably, well, you can still run five wide, right? So I'd run Mystique. Or, yeah, five, five wide at that point, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mystique, Taskmaster, Toad, Enchantress, and Okoye. Um, that would be, yeah, if I didn't want to run Magneto for whatever reason, that's probably what I'd, I'd go towards. Or I can run five wide Wakanda, but I think um, Enchantress at 14, five wide Brotherhood is probably the play if I wanted five wide. Yeah, I, I think the main concern here is just that uh, you want to try and hold the two Bs, though I guess this scenario is so slow that you would want to uh, just focus on hunting down the extremists, and as long as you're holding one of the Infinity Formula things, they can at best tie you on scoring if you're holding the Senator, so hmm. maybe three wide Magneto and just going Asteroid M hunting is more than fine. Well, I mean, you can still do that at four wide Magneto. You can do Magneto, Mystique. Time. Yeah, yeah. And Valkyrie or, or whoever, really. but Sorry, three or four wide, but no Enchantress, unfortunately. Yeah. But then, as you said, you just use Asteroid M to remove that extract off whoever's carrying it through Magneto's pain train. Yeah. And then, uh, what was the 17 thread again that you were looking at? Just your standard uh, try and fit in Enchantress? Well, I mean, again, I've got sort of five options at 17. Um, looking at this, what would I go towards? Yeah, maybe... Uh, Enchantress and Okoye at 17, maybe. Yeah, with a single extract do. nature, that was what I was leaning towards. Yeah. Or I might go, if I want, if I want violence, I can choose, uh, you know, Magneto, Mystique, Taskmaster, and Modok. Magneto on one flank, Modok on the other, and just try and bully, the, bully that uh, senator out of them. Yeah, there's some options. Yeah. Okay, next crisis combination, double C, so more senators. But this time, we've also got Deadly Meteors, um, for whatever reason. So th this is a bit of a weird one, because essentially the way this game works is whoever consistently controls the Meteors wins, right? Because they just score one more VP than the Extremists do if you split. Yeah. Um, um, for this one, I'd, I'd probably look at... I'd consider Wakanda in this pairing. I mean, the Deadly Meteors... Uh, I could play at 14, I could play 5 wide Wakanda, Panther, Taskmaster, Okoye, Valkyrie and Toad. So Toad for the extract piece, and Valkyrie is really nice there for the um, you know the two power generation, for mm -hmm. the uh, Deadly Meteors, or the Origin Bombs. And you know, vice versa, I could scale up to 17 with, with Wakanda as well, and put in you know, MODOK and Mystique, or MODOK and Valkyrie. Um, and just really, you know, got Black Panther, Taskmaster and Okoye, is really tough short range physical characters, which what you is what you want on the origin bombs. And then you've got a couple of big hitters there in, in Modoc and either Mystique or Valkyrie. So probably Wakanda and I would pick fourteen or seventeen based off where I thought I could get best advantage. Sounds good. And then now I haven't been doing any counting so I can't remember if this is the last crisis combination or not. So we're gonna find out momentarily. Okay, there is one final one. Uh, th this is another double combo, actually, of crises that are on you. Uh, so this is 
Panic Rift City's evacuation efforts continue alongside gamma wave sweeps across Midwest. So E meets B. Um, and I think I've seen a lot of this personally as a criminal syndicate uh, player. You lose Pryo into a hired muscle team, you force Gamma, and you say, hopefully I'm able to disrupt your hired muscle play enough that my superiority on Gamma will save the day. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But how, how do you feel about this crisis combination as a uh, Brotherhood player here? Yeah, I think you've identified it in that Gamma is probably the best counterplay to a hired muscle citizens um, extract there. Um, brother, Brotherhood's good on, on pretty much every uh, crisis, so I'm pretty neutral on it. It would be, if I won or lost priority, would probably determine what threat level I wanted to play at. If I lost priority, I think I would um, prefer to play at 15, because I think my 15 losing priority is pretty strong. Um, if I won priority, I mean, unless I can really steamroll, I mean, you can do your matchup analysis and you can just steamroll people at 15 if they don't have a good 15 roster. Yep. So they don't have a good 15 squad options, I'll just steamroll them at 15 or try to. Um, if not, 19's good. Uh, Brotherhood are very strong at 19, so I'll be happy with either. And what what would your 19 threat team look like? This, this is going to be a Magneto Modoc uh, power hour, right? Uh, yeah, you can. I mean, the, the 19, again, I've got sort of five different squads at 19. Um, I could choose, if I wanted to focus on the extracts, I could do a Black Panther Enchantress um, in Brotherhood. If I want to choose violence, which sort of lends itself to the E-shape, I do Modoc Lockjaw. Yeah, so either or, just depending. There's a few other options there as well, but they're the two main ones I'm looking at, depending on my opponents, uh, what, they're, what they're packing. Yeah. So, so, so something interesting about this combination that I feel like is this is quite possibly the fastest crisis combination in the game uh, in terms of raw scoring. Yeah, it's pretty close, yeah. I mean, the, the five extracts will, will beat it. Yeah, because fast score extracts are, like, yeah. kind of rare. I mean, we've got cubes and spiders, but those tend to be really finicky, and they change hands a lot, so they don't feel as fast as they actually can be. Um, but, yeah. It'll be interesting to see if we get more super fast uh, extracts, like Panic in the future. Hmm. But I think that's going to wrap us up for crisis combinations. Uh, so we're just going to go back and kind of review and after talking things through and slash your experiences through the top 16 so far, what are we looking to change? And I think Lock Lockjaw definitely seems like the odd man out. Um, Yeah, I mean, look, there's an argument to remove Lockjaw and bring in a, a different character. I'd probably, I mean, I'd need more games with Lockjaw to see how much he really accelerates Brotherhood uh, with Modoc. But I'd be, I mean, I played Ghost Spider in that slot pretty much all season. So, you know, I'd be happy to have Ghost Spider there. I'd also be happy to have Angela in that Lockjaw slot, but I'm also happy to leave Lockjaw there. Yeah, um... My my leaning towards Lockjaw is uh, purely to, because I, I every every time he got mentioned in the crisis combination, it's like, well, I can go this way if I really want to, but it it felt like you were more solid on wanting to play Wakanda in certain scenarios more than you were playing Lockjaw. Um, 
it's yeah. I mean, it's so matchup dependent that it's you just I can't give it an answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely one of those things where it's got to be a meta read, and the, these metas are constantly shifting. I mean, A Force was basically non-existent in the first half of the season, and now it's like everywhere. Um, Enchantress just going up and up in popularity, and I mean. I mean, what, season three, it was basically you had to play MODOK or you were trolling, except for, uh, like, Wakanda teams and, of course, your Black Order. Uh, so, like, the, the game's constantly in flux, and it's just something you have to read, but Lockjaw seems like the most narrow piece. So that, that would definitely be the piece that, like, if I was looking to iterate on this, it's the one that, like, I would be looking to fiddle with, I guess. That's fair. I mean, I think Lockjaw is the most narrow. I agree with that, but... I mean, he can, as I said, he can put up Magneto and, and MODOK on the middle middle E, um, beat Gamma or Demons, and you've now got 11 points unactivated sitting in the middle saying, let's have at it. So a lot of rosters won't be able to deal with that. Some can, a lot can't. So I think if, you, if you're using Lockjaw, you're going for a, for a big win there and just want to steamroll your opponent. So he's situational um, based on my, my current roster. Um, you know, I think he reduces flexibility in other areas where maybe a ghost spider increases flexibility. So I wouldn't be disappointed to see Lockjaw moved around or changed. There's there's pros and cons for all of them. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think, is there any, like, other possible... Uh, Valkyrie and Taskmaster are also... Like, your, your three suite, I think, is just very flexible in general, the unaffiliated threes. Um... Mm. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, look, the other, the the, other the, like you've got great reasons for taking all of them, but I could also see like bending the roster in a different way by like fiddling with them in small ways. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the other thing about Lockjaw we didn't discuss is that at fifteen, I can play Lockjaw in a um, in a Wakanda squad, and then if I don't have priority and I put down Gammas and we're playing at fifteen for whatever reason, or I'm playing against a four wide squad at fifteen, and I do have priority. Lockjaw activates last, and I'm teleporting my characters onto potentially their home Gamma and scoring, you know, three points. So I think Lockjaw has some great situational play. Um, but yeah, flexible threes, definitely. Um, I would like to see Ghost Spider back in there, but I just don't know how to fit her in unless I sacrifice Lockjaw. Yeah, I feel like you can't cut Valkyrie, and I think Taskmaster is like an important part of if you're playing the more forward-focused Wakanda variations, which it sounds like you're more prone to do with just how this roster plays out. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, I w I would much rather have Valkyrie as a frontline piece. It sounds like with like the exact situations where you're putting down the Wakanda team. Yeah, I mean the other argument is Panther. Uh, I was on the fence whether to take Panther or Medusa. Um, Panther's got the added bonus that I can do some cheeky Wakanda squads that my opponents might not be expecting until they listen to this podcast. Um, but Medusa, I think there's a, there's a real argument to have, you know, she might be the best four-pointer in the game, um, and there's a real argument that she probably takes Black Panther's spot. Yeah, she's definitely an absolute powerhouse, and, um, like, we're, we're kind of, like, talking about Wakanda in terms of, like, this, like, control displacement team that's very popular, right? But, uh... Medusa brings so much inherent just like control push obnoxiousness and like freedom of mobility for your own characters um, that she might even just be like enough of a shot in the arm for an existing brotherhood team. Yeah. Uh, you were already talking about the deceptive controlling elements with Mystique and Toad and Magneto. 
well, maybe Medusa is enough of a critical mass that you no longer feel the need to ever shift into a Wakanda variation. Yeah, look, absolutely. And really, I mean, realistically, um, I think Travis might have the better Brotherhood Wakanda combination in that he's he's got Shuri instead of Taskmaster. I toyed with that um, to have the full, you know, Wakanda power unlocked. But and I, I played Wakanda in season two, and I'm just sick of playing them. So they're there if I absolutely need them, but I don't, I, I don't want to play them unless I have to. I, I know that feeling. Sometimes you just get burnt out on a faction. You have to change things up. You're, you're, you've explored those play patterns to death. They are no longer interesting. There are new mountains to climb. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Uh, moving on to tactics. Uh, we already talked about the med pack versus race discussion, and it could go either way on that one. Um, but I guess the next question is, do we see magnetic refraction potentially coming out for um, a, another situationally useful card? Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, that was probably the, the most contentious for me. I had climbing gear and better rivals uh, rotating in my mind with magnetic refraction. And I think climbing gear is situationally better, but situationally worse. I mean, I find a lot with Magneto, once you asteroid him in, in a spot, he probably doesn't want to move too much. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes climbing gear is awesome. It gives him a mini all you've got, if you will, allows him to do two attacks when he could otherwise do one. Um, but sometimes it's just not needed. So, yeah, you know, climbing gear or better rivals, I could see taking magnetic refraction spot based on play style and preference and the rest of it. In particular, I've just been really wowed by bitter rivals recently. I feel like Okoye's stock is at such an insane high right now that like 80 plus percent of the field is playing her. And with her positioning um, patterns, she tends to be a really juicy bitter rivals target because you don't care about making her worse, but you like making the people around her worse. And especially if you have displacement effects so you can yoink her out of range two people while still being within range three. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's I mean, the a only very attractive I, piece right now. Yeah. I think in, in my roster, how I play, Magnetic Refraction is directly competing with Bitter Rivals on the same shaped missions. Mm -hmm. So I think on an E-shape, they're both really strong, or probably strongest there. And so I think it's one or the other. I don't think I would play both in my squad. So that would be a one or the other. And Climbing Gear is probably one or the other as well because I've got my other four cards pretty much locked down more often than not. To go to a hypothetical extreme real quick, let, let's say we were living in such a meta where no matter what, under any and all circumstances, you were literally playing E-shapes all the time. Would you even take both at that point? Uh, no. Okay, so yeah, I, I just wanted to get that out because uh, like, e even if we were at that point where you were playing that like ideal scenario where both of them were ideal, it's not even worth it at that point. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, and I, I think the, the thing I like about Magnetic Refraction over Bitter Rivals is Bitter Rivals is still somewhat um, dicey, whereas Magnetic Refraction uh, brings consistency that you always have cover um, despite the range. You know, the only thing that will stop it is, you know, like a Captain America shield throw or a, uh, you know, Taskmaster shield throw or a Pierce. So I prefer the consistency of Refraction Mm -hmm. um, to level out your defense dice. Fair enough. And I think that's going to take us to the last section of possible changes, which is going to be the crises. Um, 
I, I think you made a convincing enough argument against Mutant Madman that I won't advocate for it. I could see going to a B-Force instead of an E-Force here, potentially. Um, specifically because if you feel incredibly comfortable on B, there are s certain affiliations that love E that hate B. Um, that that might be a potential meta pick depending on what you're seeing. Um, but I, I think especially with Modox low physical, which is one of the most likely people, and especially if you don't like the inherent randomness of the flip secures, um, sticking with the E-Force is more than fine. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably... I mean, Gammas is in there... Well, I mean, Gammas is in there with some very sort of specific counterplay in mind to some things. I would like to see a D-shape in there. Um, whilst I don't think Brotherhood are exceptional at, at Ds like web warriors are uh, i really enjoy playing on the d shapes and i think my d shape game is quite good so i would probably look at uh dropping gamma or demons and and bringing in a d shape maybe but i actually you know i removed um a d shape to bring in gamma and demons so you know so i guess that begs an interesting question how, how valuable do you find forces it sounds like you are more willing to just have a toolkit than you are consistently being able to force a proactive particular shape oh look absolutely I, I and whether it's just this roster i'm playing but I, I think this brotherhood roster is a real toolkit and i don't think there's any bad crisis combinations against me i think there's bad roster and character matchups and i think the mm -hmm. top 16 against that nine point thanos on scrolls was about as bad as it gets for me um because you know thanos grabs a scroll with his reactions and reality and it's very hard to get it off him um, but I, I think in all in all, this Brotherhood roster is a wonderful tool bag and allows me to avoid most sort of soft or relatively hard counters and just play it out and, and have a good game of it against anything and anyone. Yeah, I, 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 I think I've always uh, ad admired your uh, takes on crises. Uh, I remember specifically after the Black Order episode we did, not, not, not to... Uh, 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 brown nose or anything, but I, I was just really impressed about how how you talked about your uh, your crisis game plan and how you thought of the game because I, I think that was the first point where I realized people were starting to get really proactive with understanding crises instead of just throwing arbitrary shapes down and saying I feel good playing these um, and I I just yeah I was really wowed by that at the time. Um, and I, I think this is a really just pleasantly uh, flexible uh, crisis setup here. Uh, you've got like the E's and B's. You're happy with whatever secure you get pretty much no matter what. Um, your extracts are so incredibly diverse, but each of them has like a strong case for taking. Yeah, I think that's a good thing. I mean, I think you had a nice summary there of a, a, a well-balanced roster in that. Um, you know, I took in the extracts there to try and bit of a kit check for my opponent. Hey, what do you like at 14? You're a bit weak there? Right, let's play Senators. Hey, do you have your hide muscle? Oh, you don't. Let's play 19 at Citizens. Hey, what's your uh, your extract play like with Hammers? Can you deal with Enchantress? You can't? Well, let's play Hammers. So it's similar with the Secures. Um, I really brought in the Demons downtown really for the, the top cut for Web Warriors because I, I saw there was a lot of Web Warriors in the, in the top 16 finishes in the Swiss. Um, but as it turns out, um, your best planning is uh, never sees reality, and I haven't played Web Warriors at all. So the, the Demons there is, you know, 
probably would have good on it, but um, that was a bit of a counter pick for, for Will Burroughs specifically. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up for the final crisis discussion. So the only thing left is to roll out the red carpet. Strike better. Uh, are there any other projects you're working on or anything you want to shout out that uh, the listeners should know about and I should link in the description of this episode? Oh, that's very kind of you. Thanks, Mark. Um, yeah, I mean, the Strike Better podcast, yep, uh, I encourage people to have a listen. Um, Ryan Farmer, I think, is a terrific host. He's um, He hosts probably the world's, well, it is the world's biggest X-Wing podcast, and we were fortunate enough to get him on, on Strike Better and, and joined weekly by the Foss Lads, which Travis Foss is now also in the top four, um, and Jaron, his brother, who does a lot of the Vaughn gaming streaming, and then Adam Murgatroyd, who's uh, one of the very good sort of Australian players, jumps in as well, so... We've really enjoyed that, and um, it's been a lot of fun, actually, um, developing that, that podcast and, and working with a good team. So thanks for the opportunity for the shout-out. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming on, and uh, thank you to all of our listeners for listening. And have a good evening, or I guess day in your case. Oh, wow.